Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Floor is rising. I am Sabertooth, and with me is Kizu. I'm a professional NFT collector, and Kizu is a professional art critic. On this podcast, we talk deeply about the business of creating, collecting, and analyzing NFTs. So if you are a creator or collector of NFTs, or you want to be, jump in. The water's warm. I would like to maybe hear a little bit about the art within the NFT space, maybe, you know, some of the art styles or like maybe their schools or movements, right? Because a lot of this, you know, I kind of, I guess maybe I also think of it in a very traditional art way. And there's like a lot of overlaps. And I think we've discussed it a bit on the show with a couple of different artists of being like, oh, you know, trash art is kind of like data movement or the impressionist and, and kind of like this way of how it's being seen in like the public eye or kind of like the, you know, the eye from the outsider. So when I'm looking at a lot of this, um, a lot of different art online more, so like the one-on-one, uh, one-on-one projects or one-on-one pieces. Yeah. Could you maybe, Kazoo, tell me a bit about like the art styles? Like, I mean, so we've got like generative art, we've got illustration and maybe uh, is it too, too much of a loaded question? I mean, like basically like a whole art history class of sorts. I think when you say styles, I think, or, or just an art, I think a lot of people think about things like impressionism, abstract expressionism, surrealism, you know, like abstraction, for example. And a lot of these things have to do with the actual visual structure or the, I guess, the visual language, let's say, of a piece of work. I think in the crypto NFT art space, that's been... That, that's kind of been elided a little bit. So like, for example, when people talk about PFP and that stands for profile pick. So for example, like the CryptoPunks is a good example. CryptoKitties, Bordy Yacht Club, all the animal projects basically or, or human figures. You know, a lot of people use that as their likeness, their avatar on their socials, for example. So that's not really a style, right? That's just saying that that artwork, that NFT art, piece is a likeness for yourself it's an avatar basically i guess that counts as a style but again we have seen that after the kitties and the apes and the punks and there's a whole slew of like riffing off these basically like stoned animals right (laughs) that's that counts as a style i guess but i think also people are thinking about things like generative art which i think is that actually has something to do with the construction and how that work is generated. So you have artists like OG artists in that style, like Eric Paul Rhodes, for example, who the famous Fidenza series, for example, Tyler Hobbs. These are works that, you know, when you see, for example, a whole project and you see that it has certain stylistic similarities, obviously they're different because the mechanism by which they're generated is designed to create a certain degree of randomness, right? Because it's it's algorithmically generated. So there is that. And I think that does count as a major style because it's something that is specific, medium native to crypto art because of the, the algorithm mechanism. So that's, I think, probably, you know, if not the most, maybe one of the most um, touted and, and, and highly regarded styles in the space. Then we have things, I mean, when you talk about illustration, painting, and all that, these are classifications or genres that come from a time prior to crypto art. And 
basically what that means is like, you know, we often hear about NFTs. So what is an NFT? It's basically a, a token that points to a physical artwork, right? And, and by that, I mean, there's the, you know, there's the famous, for example, the Damien Hirst project, the currency, where he asked collectors to choose whether they wanted the physical painting, dot painting, or the digital, the, the NFT version of it. So basically that's like, it's the same work, but one of them exists in physical space and the other one doesn't, right? And that's, sorry, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think I've gone off on a tangent. But basically the, the idea being that any artwork can be an NFT. It, it just has, a lot of artists have been making work in their, their typical style, uh, whether it's painting or, or digital art or pixel art. And then they mint that as an NFT on Ethereum or another blockchain. And because of the, the works that are produced uh, through this process mean that basically there can be an infinite number of styles in NFT art. Any, any style that can be produced as a physical work can also be produced as an NFT. All the artist needs to do is to mint that on, on a blockchain, right? So I, I, I don't think that really counts as a style, although we see many, many successful artists that have gone from selling you know, physical artworks in their typical style to minting NFTs and selling those to collectors. The better question would be like what styles of digital art, maybe. So like specifically people that are creating, like artists that are creating works using computers, mm-hmm. what would be those kind of main genres? Is that still like a, a, a kind of a... So that's the thing about what I said about, I think this distinction has been glossed over or elided. So you have, I mean, the the, the most headline grabbing works like Beeple and Park and, and all of these artists, their work, I would argue, is not so much specific or native or, or medium native, as the case may be, to crypto and NFT art because they're main, basically like Beeple's um, $69 million work is basically just a digital collage, right? So yeah. he then minted that and sold it as an NFT for that sum of money. But it's not a style that I think was specifically enabled by blockchain and, and generative art technologies in, in the same way that the Fidenza Tyler Hobbs is. Because that's a style, if you will, that is specific to his the format and on which he works and uh, the technology with which it's produced, right? That's not to say that the works that are somehow not specifically medium-native to crypto art can are, are not commercially successful. All the PFP projects, for example, that are that are big are basically just a, a JPEG. It's, it's basically a digital likeness of you know obviously it's it's whether it's an animal or, or a human figure so I, i'm not sure if that answers the question i guess the, the 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 answer is that there are many successful and commercially very valuable nft art projects some of them are just artworks that have a token that points to it and others obviously generative art is the best example are works that one hopes will end up being historically more you know valuable or regarded because they're actually specific to to the blockchain and, and the format on which they're produced the technology or like the medium that you're using to produce these works and then actually 
it's not and then like necessarily a style right like it doesn't uh, i had a similar mindset in terms of like okay so there's all these people producing all kinds of works with all kinds of software and how do you sort of categorize them how do you distinguish them? do you distinguish them by for example a very easy way to do it would be the the kind of uh software that they use right so people use a cinema 4d other people use blender they they all you know these are two kind of softwares that you can use to to generate this sort of look right the people look that everyone's very familiar with um other people for example illustrators will use something like procreate on the ipad other people again would would use things like photoshop illustrator so so you can categorize people like that but then what's kind of the point of doing that it's useful to to know how people produce works but from a, from a collecting perspective, it, it doesn't, you know, you, you can compare people who, who use the same kind of software and, and sort of say, well, that guy I think is more skillful than that person, right? But most of the top artists, it's difficult to differentiate kind of skill because they're all very, very skillful. So then it becomes like, okay, what's the point of, of trying to categorize? Or if that's not useful, how do you categorize people essentially? And then my personal journey was then I would go back into sort of art history, right? I would kind of dig a bit into art history and go like, well, you know, art history, you've got, you know, you got, you got the Impressionists and you got the Datas and, and, you know, Gizu is much more familiar with all these sort of movements and, and styles and whatnot. And what you see and those in art history, right? We don't, we don't talk about, okay, so this guy used to paint brush, but this, this guy didn't, or this guy used like a 10 centimeter paint brush. And this guy used, no, that's not how we categorize things, right? We, we, we categorize things in more narrative based styles, right? Like impressionism or like the Renaissance or like medieval, ancient Greece. This is kind of how we categorize things. In current NFT art, you see the nascent attempts to do this, right? One of the most famous is, is that we've interviewed various people from the trash art movement, right? So this, they're basically trying to make trash art a thing. And you see various people do this, right? So some people are trying to make sort of generative art a thing. Some people are trying to make whatever Beeple does a thing. Basically, usually it comes down to People buy a certain artist and then they look for narratives to place these artists into art history, right? Because, you know, if you, you know, you might buy a Picasso, but if Picasso becomes like the leader of the Cubist movement, he's, <laughs> his works are going to be worth a lot more. So, so right now in, in NFT art, you see this happening with all the big collectors. They're trying to make their artists into a thing basically. Most of them don't really have, I feel, the language to do so. They try to come up with things <laughs> to try to, you know, make the artist into a thing. But um, in, in my view, it's mostly been unsuccessful in the sense that the things that people are coming up with right now are only recognized within the sort of the, 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 the crypto community. None of the things have really translated, right? And so when we on our show interview a lot of traditional art people, a lot of traditional galleries, like I, I see almost 100% agreement that none of the narratives that are coming out of the NFT crypto art have swayed any of the traditional art people in that they are valid narratives, basically. Like, for example, I mean, the most famous example is, is Beeple, right? So he's... So his works are selling for like a ton of money, but almost to a man, I don't know any like sort of respected traditional art people that 
have recognized him as being some kind of torchbearer of art or that he'll go down in art history. Like, I don't know of any. I mean, I don't know, Kizu, maybe you want to feel to jump in, but he's being pushed by a ton of crypto people, but has not been accepted by hardly any art people, right? Yeah. I would go one up on that and right. say that the even more cynical take, and I, I think this is kind of an open secret because I think of the way in which these collectors and, and such are trying to make their art is the thing. If you just look at the structure of Twitter and Discord, it's, it's a very siloed, well, not just that, but like it's, you know, the, the thing about Web 2.0 socials is that uh, it's often said like Facebook was an echo chamber. So you would have your friends, you would see, you turn on your feed and you, you see all these comments and and posts that, you know, Facebook thinks are resonate with your, your value system or what you're interested in or whatever it is. And the same things happen in Twitter. Discord is a bit different because I guess you get to choose your channels but similarly, like within individual channels, it's it's just a community of people who are all like showing their project. They're trying to pump things, talk about you know projects that they're they're friends with and all of that. So there's a there's a social there's a sociology behind it. There's a there's a kind of social hierarchy. There are you know people who push a project because there's always a sociological explanation. I feel and with the punks and all of that, I think that. The reason why, even even though artistically they may not be groundbreaking, right? But that's how digital life in 2021 unfolds. Like you, you have a digital identity, you have in the metaverse that's coming, you won't be able to flex your, you know, your designer branded stuff, but you will be able to show people that you have a ferocious pair of artifact sneakers, right? You might have had the chance to get a Clonex. And, you know, with all the rarities and people, when you display that in the metaverse with your avatar and your persona, you, you telegraph your clout. You basically communicate to everyone that, you know, that's who you are. And, you know, people who use punks as their profile pic on, on Twitter and all of that, like it already signals a certain thing. And that is entirely a valid, I think, signaling of value. Yes, like per se, the, there's no artistic merit. You know, I mean, let's let's be honest, right? But as a kind of token of how people are communicating and transacting with each other today, I think that a lot of the art, a lot of the the hyped art, a lot of the valuable art at the at the moment, speaks very eloquently about how you know we are talking to each other, how we communicate and interact with each other. And that's the narrative, I think, that maybe the traditional art world has been shirking. Um, it's, not a very, it's not a very deep narrative, I guess, but it is a narrative. And I think that, you know, that that's, explains a lot about why these uh, projects gain traction, because they're very visually straightforward and they serve a purpose. They enable this kind of status um, signaling so it's 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 all about the money. There is an aesthetic to it in the sense that you know the the traits and and certain animal projects take off because they reference earlier ones like the apes or the kitties. So there is that kind of like referential thing that you find in traditional art. But there's not the kind of narrative that, for example, in the, in the '90s, a big thing was like art from the developing world. So the non-West, you had uh, artists from, you know, Southeast Asia, from China, from India, and they got into all the big shows, the Venice Biennale art fairs, because 
there was a movement to promote artists that previously were overlooked because they were not from, you know, the, the West. And, and so that's like something that, again, is, is not, it's not really about their aesthetic, but it's about their background. And so that there, there was a lot of art from 30 years ago now that was not, again, about a style. Like they could have painted the same subject, right? But why is it that the art world adored these new artists from China and India? It's because it was China and India. It's because these were economies that were gaining momentum. It's because uh, Americans wanted to do business with them. And so as the economy boomed in these countries, the art and the prices went up along with it. And so this isn't a narrative that, I mean, the art world thinks that maybe NFTs, there's something dirty money about it, but actually it's just replicating things that happened 30 years ago. And so I think this is an important thing to bear in mind. I mean, I wouldn't say it's cynical. I, I said at the outset to the to this question that maybe this is like even more cynical than what Zewitrude said, but it's, it's just being very clear-eyed about the relationship between art and money. And I think the same thing is happening with the relationship between crypto art and crypto money. It just, it's just a reflection of this newly minted, pardon the pun, crypto wealth that we're seeing. And, and, and that, that wealth needs something to, to flaunt, to flex. And, and we're seeing that these projects are exactly what they need to do so, right? With, with this, the aesthetic that goes along with it. I would like to hear a little bit about NFTs with music. I mean, I think it's kind of a newer topic that's coming up a lot within the nft space and for me it, it makes a lot of sense right like the the music industry has really suffered a lot in the last you know more so like 20 30 years right i mean like all of these big record labels um kind of have this reputation for being like evil and and stealing the money of the artist or you know locking them into these crazy contracts where they're required to produce so there's like that side of things which makes it nfts and music really uh sound nice but then also just now with like shared services spotify and all of this there's another issue right of the artist not getting enough money so i would like to maybe maybe hear what you guys think about music in the nft space like where where will be like the marketplaces that we could that we should maybe look out for or what it'll be if if there's any like fractionalized musics in the like in the nft space the good thing about being a collector is I, I, I have to have opinions on everything, right? <laughs> um, so the biggest NFT musicians are DJs. Um, so we're talking about like Three Lyle, Steve Aoki, um, all the biggest DJs basically have NFT collections and have done NFT collections. And that's not a coincidence because the DJs have, sort of the popular DJs have crossover with kind of the streetwear, hype beast, mm-hmm. um, yeah. supreme crowd, right? That's their... Their crowd and the biggest DJs are kind of celebrities. They have they have multiple streams of income and and sort of they sort of position themselves at the at the cutting edge of uh, of basically popular culture and then and then NFTs is kind of there as well. I'm not that bullish on music NFTs full stop because I kind of feel like music has stopped being the cutting edge of sort of niche subcultures and it has sort of stop being that for maybe even two decades now. So if you, if you go back to sort of the 80s, yeah, sign from the 80s and 90s, music was where all subcultures kind of originated, right? So, you know, from hip hop, punk, uh, metal, um, pretty much, you know, and then even going back further, rock and roll, uh, soul, uh, pretty much every single sort of 
subculture, you know, marginalized groups. They, yeah, like they, they have all, their soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, the, it all started in music, right? But I don't feel like this is the case anymore. So I think like subcultures don't start in music. Um, sort of minority expressions don't start in music. And maybe this is because there are just better avenues. For example, you know, <laughs> instead of creating a band, you create either a TikTok account or an Instagram account, right? And so they're just cheaper, better, like more viral ways. Like, you know, the amount of effort that it takes to sort of <laughs> be a band and, and sort of put up an album versus creating a TikTok account that can get you a million followers, you know? What's what's going to be better bang for your buck or, or more, more, more sort of return for your effort? So I really feel like music has been kind of sidelined um, in terms of creating the cutting edge of sort of niche subcultures now. And yeah, and, and if it has stopped being that, then even today, NFTs are ahead of sort of music in terms of creating subcultures. So yeah, I'm, I'm just not bullish on it. I think it's a lot more valuable music NFTs probably for the artist rather than for the collector, right? Like from the collector point, yeah, like you said, it's kind of natural and it'll it's, it's not like a huge deal and it's not like you'll probably make... There won't be like this need where like a lot of the draw, I think, with like the PFP projects and all of this is like that identity factor. And so with the music and everybody's taste being so varied, I feel like these days, um, yeah, it makes sense that it won't be as valuable. But I do think that I will that we will see a lot more like artists moving in that, like mu- musicians, let's say, moving in that direction. Everyone wants to get their their the pound of flesh right in the nft world yeah. so everyone is looking at how do you make money on this thing right and, and musicians there's no, there's no difference yeah yeah do you guys have any thoughts on 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 like nfts being used for for different contracts like business or real estate because i recently saw that something about barbados is going to allow nfts for real estate something like did you guys hear about this at all or have you heard anything on that kind of side of things? The same news story happens every few months. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right? okay. I, I think this is this falls under the category of tokenizing sort of real world assets, right? So putting mm-hmm. real estate on the on the blockchain, and and people have had the same idea for four plus years ever since you know 20, 2016, 2017, that that kind of boom. Um, and and as of yet, it hasn't taken off, and I don't think it'll be a big thing because. Well, just technologically, you face the Oracle problem, right? And so how do you bring data from off the blockchain onto the blockchain and have it still be trustworthy? This is, this is a problem commonly known as the, as the Oracle problem. And, you know, so far there's no really good way to, to do this, especially for things like real estate. Um, there's a number of problems. Like, for example, if someone steals your real estate NFT, do they now own your house? Um, and the answer is of course no so you know just because i stole someone's real estate nft does not mean that i own a house now but if the answer is no then what's the point of the nft so for that and a whole host of other reasons i don't think tokenizing real world assets on the blockchain is going to be a big thing and but you know, people have tried to make that a big thing for ever since smart contracts are invented and, and they will continue to do so. And maybe it will become, you know, a small thing in the future, but I don't think it'll be a big thing. Yeah. I think it kind of like it is a bit of a newbie topic because when I'm thinking about wanting to buy, OK, what would be the first NFT that I'm going to buy? You know, for me being still so attached to like the traditional art world, 
if I buy an NFT, I really would love for it to come be like a utility NFT, right? And come with the physical and be able to like see it on my wall, but also maybe have like the the clout of having it also online or being able to like, sh- you know, use it digitally as well. But um, so, yeah, I guess the question comes up with like, where are the rights with that? Like I own it, but can I print it? Am I allowed to do that? Am I allowed to share it? Am I right? Like, yeah. What are the, like the different levels of rights within, within the ownership? And is that already implied in your contract? Like, I mean, like in the NFT, when you purchase something, will it be clear these kind of parameters? So recently there is a major narrative push related to the CryptoPunks project. So, you know, CryptoPunks subscribe to the Nifty license, which was a license came up with by the by the CryptoKitties founders, um, Dapper Labs, that said that you can you can monetize your your work up to hundred thousand dollars, but but that the original creators reserve the rights. So, for example, um, the CryptoPunks creators, Lava Labs, uh, signed a contract with with a talent agency which represented them in Hollywood, right? So they reserve the rights, you know, make the movies or, or, or a game or, or, or whatever the case is. And a project by the name of Funks basically took the CryptoPunks image and instead of the CryptoPunks facing right, they made them face, uh, sorry, instead of them facing left, they, they turn them and they face right right that's the only thing i did and and then they made them sort of you know creative commons and what actually happened is they got banned from OpenSea. they created their own marketplace and now you know they're worth quite a bit of money you know the, the floor price is, is is above one ETH. and and a lot of people use that as an example of saying that you know the crypto punks creators were wrong um, in terms of the licensing, right? That, that the correct licensing for any NFT should be a Creative Commons license, which allows anyone to do anything, basically, with, with the image. And this is a, an ongoing narrative, you know, that has uh, quite influential supporters, you know, behind it. But of course, I'm sort of cynical enough to sort of look at it and say that the reason why they're pushing this narrative is because they are sort of owners of of NFTs that um, benefit from this narrative being being kind of pushed. But, you know, I would say that there is significant receptiveness that NFTs uh, should follow an ethos of basically complete sort of open, you know, intellectual property, sort of assigning creative commons licenses to all NFTs so anyone can do anything. That I think that is a, a significant, probably oversized representation in terms of the community versus probably the traditional art world where I'm thinking approximately 0% of the people <laughs> would agree with a creative commons license for, for, for artwork. You know, that that is a distinction in terms of, you know, what defines the NFT community versus what would define a sort of traditional art community. Let me ask you a question. What, what do you think about in terms of what is the first NFT that, that you would get? Like, how, how do you think about it? I would want something that, while there's the temptation of like all the PFP projects and all of this, I think for me personally, it would definitely be something from like more of a one-on-one and wanting it to be something that I really love looking at all the time and that I don't mind if I can't resell. Because like, while I, you know, have a love for art, I'm also not a huge gambler. So like buying something just because I think that, you know, I want to trade it in a few months or a few years. I, that's not really kind of the route I think I would take, at least not for right now. So definitely for me, it's more of like 
what's the piece of art that I want to just have in my possession? And then, yeah, within that, I would also would love to be able to have it on my wall and still look at it. So I think that's like kind of, I haven't been able to make that switch to being like, oh, I have it in the like metaverse. And then that's kind of what matters most to me. So I think I'm probably a bit different from a lot of people in the space in that sense, right? Like I'm not looking at trading and I'm not looking at necessarily like having an avatar or something like this. It's more like the love of the art itself. And then, yeah. And just like all of the cool stuff that's been coming out in the NFT space now, I'm being able to have like, you know, just access to all this like really cool new productions, let's say, um, in the art world that are maybe not available, whether it be because of like, you know, physical distance, right? Like, I don't know what artists maybe like, I'm not going to an art fair in you know Japan or something like this. So being able to have like access to more like abundance of, of art. Yeah, I think that's kind of like the, the upside to me for NFTs, for the NFT space. How many pieces of art have you seen that you would collect? Is it is it a situation where you haven't seen any or is it like you've seen tons of art? Like, yeah, I would collect that. I would collect that. Like, how, what, what's the... I feel like it depends on the, like that day maybe in the hour, right? Like sometimes you see a work and you're like, oh, that's really nice. Like, I would love that. But then other times I'm like, I've gotten a bit more into it, especially like, like doing research for the show where I'm like then digging into certain artists and I'm really kind of getting to know a bit more of their collection and style and like the kind of information behind it or like the kind of like, you know, feeling behind it. And so, you know, so sometimes I save, you know, artist names or works or something like this, like I'll take a note of it. But yeah, so it depends on like how uh, on the moment if I'm like really kind of obsessed with something and keep going back and looking at it or if I'm just like, oh, that'd be cool. You know, like I could see myself wanting that. I see stuff all the time that I'm like, oh, this is great. This is brilliant. You know, I actually think a lot of people are in the same position. So even though, I mean, I collect on Ethereum and I collect on on Tezos, but I would say like for for someone who's new to this space, I would say like go to Tezos, right? <laughs> because the yeah. prices yeah. <laughs> are way lower. So, you know, you don't feel like you can't make a big mistake. <laughs> basically yeah. um, whereas on ethereum if you if you if you buy something just because of the, the, the gas costs and, and the prices of, of most of the pieces you know you you, you can make a big mistake basically whereas right. on Te- tezos just because of the of the price points not of all the artists but of most of the artists you can't really make a, a a big mistake so you know i think for for anyone who's new to the space I would really recommend them to go to Tezos object.bid now, now that Hicket Nunc is no longer around and, and, and sort of look at, look at that first um, um, prior to, to moving to um, sort, of, sort of Ethereum, which is... Uh, right. Yeah. And I think what was kind of holding me back is like, one is the, is the wallet, right? There's so much kind of behind that and you really need to link up some sort of, you know, the MetaMask or something in order to purchase. So I think now that kind of hashing out a bit of that, I will probably do that. And then once you have it, it's kind of like, right, if it's all ready to go, it makes it so much easier to click the button and just buy something right before. Like, whereas like if I saw something, you know, you see something and you're like, oh, that I would be interested in buying that. But then I need to do this step and then this step and this step that kind of like deters you a little bit more. It takes away like a bit of that impulse of like, oh man, I want that now. So I think getting like the wallet set up and then like, like you said, yeah, I think Tezos is a great place to start. And that'll probably be how that happens for me. Hey, it's it, it sounds like this is a this is a running series. We can follow your journey in the NFT world. Yeah. yeah cool. Yeah. 
we're on the two hour mark, so I think we've done two episodes. So. Um, that was good though. I enjoyed it a lot. Thanks. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Boys Rising. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Remember to also follow us on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. You can reach out to us, send us a question, just send us a DM on Twitter at Floor Is Rising. <laughs>